Hey, hello again. Great to see you guys. Welcome to our online audience. We know you're there. We're glad you're with us. And yes, thanks again for just a great week. Uh, could not have done it without you. Just an army of people praying and serving and giving. And so we're so grateful for the fruit uh, that we can offer the Lord because of last week. So um, praise God again. Hey, uh, I don't know how you feel about hiking and camping. Uh, I'm not obsessed with it, but I like to go every now and then. And years ago, I was a youth pastor in Central Valley, California, and we just lived about 30 minutes away from getting into the Sierra Nevadas. And so just a really neat area. And so one time I, I threw together this event with a bunch of our high school guys. I said, hey guys, we're going to do something called a Warrior Weekend, all right? So here's the deal. We're going to go hiking and camping in the mountains up in the Sierra Nevadas, and whatever you bring, that's what you got. All right? So put in your backpack, your food, what you want to sleep on, etc. And whatever you bring, that's all you got. And so it got with about 20, 25 guys. And we drove up the mountain to the Sierra Nevadas. That's kind of the terrain of the Sierra Nevadas. I have no idea who that guy is in the picture. Uh, he was on Google. Um, so <laughs> that's what it looked like when we were hiking. And so uh, we just started, you know, we parked the cars. We, we left the technology in the vehicles, grabbed our backpacks, and just started hiking. And it wasn't too long before... We're like, forget the trail, man. Let's like go into the wilderness, you know? Let's just start. And it did not disappoint, right? So we're climbing up and over big boulders, and we're getting cut and smacked by trees and brushes, and I think guys are jumping off stuff, and we're like climbing through ravines and streams, and so uh, we got to this clearing by a stream. So we thought, this is a great spot. So we put everything down and set camp and made a rock fire pit, you know, I had my burn permit for being out there. And, and uh, we, just, we just had a great time, cooked some food, told some stories. It was just a great night. But uh, the guys were pretty beat up, right? You know, they were bruised and scratched. I think there might have been some slight sprains and cuts or whatever. And so we woke up the next morning and it was already kind of like, when are we getting out of here, you know? <laughs> so we're wet. A little, you know, the next day your bruises and scratches hurt more, but it was, so we just got the gear back on and, and hiked back out, but it was an awesome journey, but it wasn't easy. It had difficulty in it, and that's what family feels like, right? Family is a great journey. It's awesome to have family, but it's not easy, and there's obviously different, different moments that are difficult and feels like wilderness, and everybody's wilderness is going to look different. We all have our own unique challenges in our family structures, whether we're single, whether you know, we're looking for that future family that's going to be made, or whether we're single parenting right now, or a nuclear family, or a blended family. We all have the wilderness of our family. And so we know it's a beautiful thing, but it can awesome, uh, often be difficult. And some of you are experiencing healthy family dynamics right now. Maybe, maybe things are good, but you know there's always room for growth. Uh, maybe some of you are chasing after the things the world says you need to have to be happy as a family, but there's still something missing. Maybe some of you are going through some real difficult seasons right now. I mean, the wilderness is real, and maybe that's where you're at. Well, it's tough raising families today. Because each day has new challenges, new problems, new fears. And each uh, day also has just an onslaught of advice all over the place. Because where, where are we going to turn to for help? Because there's no shortage of opinions and voices telling us how to have a healthy family and how to parent, how to um, prepare to parent, how to grandparent, how to single parent. And our families need more than just what the world has to offer, just what those voices have to offer. Uh, our families need more than our own strength can offer. So where can we find the answers? Well, what if the key to a thriving family wasn't based on something new, but something old? 
something ancient yet very relevant. So no matter what your faith background or your family structure, it's worth your time to explore some of the earliest instructions that God gave us for the family. And our families operate best when we live out spiritual principles for a lot of our deepest needs. And so to be modern families, it would be wise to return back to some of our ancient roots for our families to thrive or our future families to thrive. And so we find those roots, those ancient ways in God's word. Now God's word doesn't just give us instructions. It's uh, good news for us. And I'm here to say what our families need is not just good advice. We need good news. Families need good news. And so the good news that we're going to focus on today is the good news of God's faithfulness to us, even in the wilderness seasons. That's what we're going to be focusing on today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time that we get to gather. I want to thank you for family. We know that outside of you, family is the most precious uh, relationship that we can have. And so, Lord, we pray for... uh, Everybody here in whatever season of life they're in, whether they're a young adult, teenager, thinking about future families someday, whether they're single parents, nuclear families, blended families, Lord, we know that there's just so many different ways that our families have been formed and things our families have endured. So God, we come to your word, this ancient yet very relevant word uh, to look for instructions, wisdom, insights today that can benefit our families. And so we ask that you would teach us, Holy Spirit, in your name we pray, amen. We're going to be looking at some of the earliest parts of the book of Deuteronomy as we kick off this series, um, Ancient Ways for Modern Families. And this is a a book that was written in the early 1400s BC, and God used the man Moses to write it. Now, Moses was in charge of a very large family, if you will, right? Estimates are about 2.5 million Israelites. It's kind of a big family, and he's he's on point. He's in charge of uh, being daddy here. And so, Uh, He was basically taking together these speeches. This is what Deuteronomy is. It's a gathering of his messages uh, that he is giving before he's about to die. He's 120 years old, and he's delivering these messages to the people of Israel just prior to his death. And these uh, messages are divinely inspired ways written down and preserved for generations of families to come. And so for our time today, I'm going to zoom just in and out of the first uh, four chapters of Deuteronomy, looking at a couple key passages, giving us some some framework and also some instruction. So join me in Deuteronomy chapter 1. We're just going to look at verse 1, and then we're going to move through some other passages. Uh, We're not going to go through the whole four chapters, so you need to be a little bit quick on the the trigger with your Bible or Bible app. Uh, Deuteronomy 1.1, let's just start with this. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tephel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dezahab. Look, uh, skip down to verses five through eight. Now, beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law. I'll explain that in a minute. Saying, the Lord our God said to us in Horeb, it's also known as Mount Sinai, by the way, uh, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Take Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all the neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country, and in the lowland, in the Negev, and by seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to give them and to their offspring after them. So we have the mission, right? And look at uh, verses 19 through 21. 
Then we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God has given us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Go down to verse 26. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, has he brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we've seen the sons of the Anakim there. These are like giants, like tall people. And then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. All the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet, in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. So this gives us some framework. Let's get a little visual representation to make sure we know where we're at. Uh, looking at this map here, this is a satellite view of this journey that the Israelites took. And so when we look at the satellite image that's popping up here, uh, you see how they came out of Egypt on the left from that Nile Delta, and they traveled south to Mount Sinai, otherwise known as Mount Horeb. And they were there for a while. They got the law. They got the commandments. And then they traveled up northeast up into the land of Canaan. This is the traditional route of Exodus. If we look at it a little more with some specificity, we see a map like this that has some of the indications on it of the places they stopped, where Mount Horeb was, and where Kadesh Barnea is up there in the upper right. And of course, that's where they got stuck in the wilderness for a season and then eventually crossed over into the land of Canaan. So that's where we're at. Also, I want to make sure we understand what this is with the law. Now, the word Deuteronomy means second law or copy of the law. And what's happening here is uh, because of the wandering in the wilderness, you have an entire generation die off. The generation of Israelites that uh, remember being rescued from Egypt, that were slaves in Egypt, they've all had kids now, and they've died off from all the wandering around. And now you've got this next generation. So Moses is really talking to predominantly a massive crowd of people 40 years old and younger. These are young families. And he's basically trying to remind them of their identity, of their history, the good news of God's faithfulness to them. And so uh, he's wrapping it up saying, God's given us some unique commands. I want to review those for your benefit and for your family's benefit, not only for a reminder of where you've been, but also for where you are going. And so this is the law. Now the law, are the Old Testament laws and instructions that God gave through Moses to the people of Israel. These laws are found in the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Pentateuch, or books of the law, or the Mosaic law, or the Torah. Now, these laws include the Ten Commandments and specific commands related to worship, ordinances, and societal laws. Now, the purpose of the law was to reflect God's holiness, to reveal man's sinfulness, and we can't keep it, right, and to reinforce Israel's distinctness. It was a spiritual and ethical code for Israel that reflected God's righteousness. This is the law that he was sharing with them. Now, as he was sharing this law, it was a reminder again of their identity and their history. And it was motivational good news for the Israelites who were in the wilderness 
on the verge of entering into this promised land that God had for them. He wanted them to learn from their time in the wilderness for the days to come. Now, we can clearly see that three experiences were having in the wilderness. They experienced fear, they experienced failure, and they experienced faithfulness. And whatever wilderness you've been going through, whatever wilderness you've, you've gone through before in the past, whatever wilderness you find yourself in, whatever wilderness you're going to find yourself in eventually when it comes to family, I think there's some great lessons for us here looking at these three experiences. We can learn about fear and failure and faithfulness by looking at the Israelites and what they experienced. So let's do that. Let's first look at fear. In the wilderness, there was clearly fear. Looking at verse 21 again. See the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Why would he say that? Because they're afraid. They're discouraged. Verse 29 of chapter 1. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. Who's the them? These are the Amalekites, right? These are the sons of Anakim. These, these are just bigger than the average people. So imagine being an Israelite, and all of a sudden you look at this big fortified city, and it's full of a, a bunch of LeBron James, right? Big, strong guys. Like, yeah, I don't think we can take that city. <laughs> and so they're just intimidated. And he says again in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 22, he says, You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. And so Israel felt intimidated and afraid of the inhabitants of the promised land of Canaan. They were tall, they were big, they were scary, they were fortified, it was intimidating. So they retreated in their spirit, that their hearts gave up, and they became convinced it was a hopeless pursuit and became fearful, like some of us do that in our families. We're just enduring something difficult, and we just start to retreat in our spirit, and fear creeps in, and we start to, to just give up. Now, God wanted his people to trust him. Moses was reminding them that God would fight for them not to trust in themselves, not in their own innovations, but in God. So nothing is impossible with God, right? Nothing's impossible with God. So as intimidating as the obstacles were, God could overcome them. And when it comes to family, we get fearful. I mean, this isn't the same world, right, that our parents were raised in. This isn't the same world that our grandparents were raised in. Things are different. And so there's big, tall, scary, intimidating things when it comes to family. And some fears that we have, they're never realized. They're just fears. And some fears become reality. But we can't let fear rule our hearts. You know, I asked this week on social media, what were some of the, the biggest challenges of raising a family? And man, I hit a nerve. It just blew up. I got like 80 comments, you know, that day on just the challenges. And it was cool to see how uh, we all experience the same challenges. Some are very unique, but a lot of them produce the same feelings, emotions, and dependency on God and need to trust God. And so just, just some of the challenges and issues and fears that were captured this week, media use was at the top. How do we use this media thing without it overtaking our family? Uh, financial demands and needs. Uh, navigating work and the demands of, of parenting and, and family needs. Uh, navigating your kids through the negative influences of culture or the wrong crowd or exposure to content that could be very damaging to them. Uh, trying to prevent busyness from strangling your family, right? And stealing precious and irreplaceable time. Also, uh, the hold that we see of consumerism and materialism and instant gratification and trying to prevent a sense of entitlement from developing in this next generation. Uh, connecting with each other and communicating with each other and being intentional about purposeful time with one another. Uh, uh, instilling good values and morals and good choices. 
Um, overcoming fear and guilt when you know you just have failed your family. We all know that we've messed up. We're, we're far from perfect with our family. And so just overcoming the fear and guilt that creeps in with that. And also just fear that our kids won't walk with the Lord or they won't have a biblical worldview. Uh, some of these fears are very legitimate but the good news is, because of God's faithfulness, that God is bigger than our fears. And God has equipped us and confront, uh, has equipped us to overcome and confront those fears. Now, I know a lot of times we say that, right? Like, God's, God's bigger than our fears. Go. Like, Great. How do I do that? <laughs> so here's just a couple ideas on, in this fear piece. Uh, first, tell stories. Tell stories. Share with your family how God has helped you overcome certain fears or fearful situations. Uh, testify to how God has helped you to not fear. Tell stories of like, you know, mom was afraid of this and dad's been afraid or I am scared, but I'm trusting God. You know, I know that he's faithful. So he's told me not to be afraid. So I'm choosing to trust instead of be afraid. Uh, also, when it comes to fears, some fears need to be confronted. We need to have a game plan. We need to be proactive. And so uh, the key to that really is to model what you want for your family. Because we know ultimately kids don't do what you say. They do what you do. Right? We know that ultimately kids don't do what you say. They do what you do. So they're watching to see what we do. So what are your views on consumerism and gratitude and not loving money or not being too busy or loving God or walking with Christ? Whatever those things of value are, we have to model them, and if we know we're not there yet, then we have to confront them and make changes in our life so they can become real, and we can be those models. And I think, obviously, prayer. And, and some of you are going like, yeah, 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 pray when you're scared. Yes, but when you pray, lay your fears before God. And the things you're afraid of over your family members, like pray that for them, pray that over them, pray that with them. We've got to convert our worry to prayer. So let God fight for you. And we have a God who loves us, who cares for us. Uh, he'll be with us in the battle. He'll fight for those who love him and trust him and are depending on him. So let's depend on him. That's good news that God's there. And so as Moses is saying, look back, don't be afraid. Look at what God's done. We can say, man, we can see God's handiwork and his constant reminder not to fear. The ancient way that we need for our families today is trusting God over ourselves. The ancient way is to live in faith, not fear. Now, if we operate out of fear, it can actually lead to the next experience, which is failure. The thing they also experienced in the wilderness was failure. Instead of moving forward in faith, they retreated in fear, and it kept them from a tremendous blessing. Look again at verse 26 of chapter 1. Yet, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Right? Look at verse 20, uh, 32. Yet in spite of the word, you did not believe the Lord your God. What a tragic verse. These people had seen God deliver them in so many ways and provide in so many ways. But then when it came to a new challenge, they chose not to believe. And so they failed to believe. And when the Israelites abandoned their faith in God and chased after other means of fulfillment, chased after other means of provision, chased after other means of purpose, it didn't go well. Pop quiz. How many years did Israel wander in the desert? 40 years. 40 years. Like when, if you envision that map that I threw up there for a minute, at the bottom, when they were at Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, do you know how many days it would have took them to go from there to the land of Canaan? 
11. Look at Deuteronomy 1, 2. The trip from Horeb to Canaan was 11 days. They turned it into 40 years. They turned an 11-day journey into 40 years. Some of you are thinking, that's like driving with my husband, man. We get lost. He won't ask for directions. What a tragic situation. Now, the fear led them into this moment of wandering through the wilderness. It was an epic fail, and it didn't go well. But here's the thing. We do the same thing with our families. We do the same thing. We take a destination from A to B or just a journey. You know, we, we know that uh, parenting isn't like a, you're going to get to this destination. It's just this constant journey, right? It's more qualitative than quantitative. But we do the same type of wandering. We, we do the same kind of uh, fear-based failure in our own life. And sometimes we don't knew it. We don't, we don't know it. Uh, we forget the Bible. We say, forget the Bible. Now, we don't say it with our mouth, but we save it with the way we live our lives. Okay, we're going to educate our kids with hundreds of other writings, but barely get them into the scripture. We're going to applaud them for memorizing and singing hundreds of song lyrics, but they don't have any memory verses memorized. Uh, we will spend thousands of hours and thousands of dollars on sports and clubs and other pursuits and then scratch our heads and we want to know why our kids don't want to walk with Jesus and they don't want to serve Jesus. They have no interest in serving other people or worse yet, when our kids say, hey, I'm thinking about serving Jesus or serving other people, we go, eh, are you sure you want to do that? And we actually can discourage them from those things. I mean, uh, we, we tell them phrases like, you can only depend on yourself and be true to yourself and we just want you to be happy and make the right choices if you want the right life. Like, if we truly believe these phrases capture the ultimate goal for our family, then we fail. That's a fail. See, sadly, right now, a lot of parents are unintentionally instilling a faith that's far from biblical. One of the dominant faiths that we're accidentally instilling in the lives of our next generation is something called moralistic therapeutic deism. Some of you have heard us talk about this before. It's moral because God just wants people to behave. It's therapeutic because God just wants people to be happy. And it's deism because there's a God, but he isn't really that involved in your personal life. That's the kind of faith a lot of our kids are grabbing a hold of right now. In a book called Almost Christian, what the faith of our teenagers is telling the American church by Kinda Dean, she says this, moralistic therapeutic deism has little to do with a God with God or a sense of divine mission in the world. It offers comfort, bolsters self-esteem, helps solve problems, and lubricates interpersonal relationships by encouraging people to do good, feel good, and keep God at arm's length away. That, that's what happens when we operate out of fear, and this is what failure will look like for us if we're not careful. But how many of us have learned already, you can be moral, and you can be somewhat happy, but you still can be miserable, right? How many of us have learned that you can raise kids who are moral, that have a sense of happiness, and maybe believe in God, but they're still not getting God's best? There's still so much more that God has for them because morality and happiness are behaviors. It doesn't necessarily mean that the heart's been transformed. Hear me on this. We can teach the Bible without ever preaching the gospel. Think about that. We can teach the Bible without ever actually preaching the gospel. See, the gospel is the good news that despite our constant sinfulness, our constant failures, our constant doubts and the mess-ups, there's a God who loves us anyway. And that he offers the death of Jesus on the cross as a substitute offering for our sins and the only way for forgiveness. And not only that, but there's a relationship we can have with God. He doesn't have to be this far-off deity, but he's an interpersonal. He's, we just saying he's a good, good father, right? And so we can have this relationship with God. And not only that, 
He, we live this life living in God's workshop where he's constantly working on us and refining us and sanctifying us and purifying us because we make mistakes. See, the gospel is not just for salvation. It's not just to get someone to pray a prayer like, yay, hey, you're done, right? The gospel is for every day. It's a daily reminder that Jesus lived the perfect life we never could. The gospel reminds us that on the cross, Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. The gospel reminds us that the, that the empty tomb is God's victory banner over death and sin. The gospel reminds us that we're part of a kingdom that's bigger than what our eyes see, right? That's the gospel. And so the gospel offers us the good news that our hearts deeply long for and the hearts of our kids and our grandkids and our family members deeply long for. It's the gospel. The gospel has the power to slay our fears. We just need to believe it. So the Israelites needed to believe in God's power and God's laws and God's promises, but they failed and it cost them. When it comes to our families, we need to believe in God's power and God's Savior and God's Word and God's gospel of grace. And whether our wilderness was brought on by our own poor choices, or whether our wilderness was brought on by someone else's poor choices, or whether our wilderness is just part of living in a broken, fallen world and experiencing what happens in a world of brokenness, no matter what it is, we need to cling to the gospel. We have to cling to the good news of Christ and the power and sufficiency of his forgiveness. How do we do that? Here's an idea. Tell stories. When you think about your family, you think about the next generation, think about your kids, your grandkids, whatever it is, tell stories. Would you share times of failures that you've had in your life and yet it was the gospel that kept you close to the Lord? See, kids don't need perfect models. They need real models. Sometimes we're so scared to share about our failures with our kids and grandkids, and we need to let them know that we're so imperfect. They know it anyways, right? We need to admit it. We need to show humility and dependence on God. We need to let them know that, that unless we see ourselves as a beloved child, we're just going to operate out of performance and works and just robotic you know, ritual and religion. So we've got to tell the stories of how we've experienced God's grace in our failure, despite our failure. And so we, we need to tell the stories. Also, preach the gospel to yourself regularly. But the gospel just wasn't for our salvation. If we can't preach it to ourselves, we can't preach it to others. And so when, not if, when we mess up, instead of letting ourselves get drug off into the cave of condemnation by fear and regret and um, you know, the shame and the condemnation and discouragement, we need to verbally refresh, prayerfully refresh, meditatively refresh the gospel. We believe the gospel. And so whether that's praying, whether that's uh, quoting a Bible verse that's very gospel-centric, like 1 John 1, 9, if we uh, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, you know, and, and, re and remove all unrighteousness from us. Or if it's a phrase, you've got to keep pointing back to Jesus, See, if we're teaching the Bible without preaching the gospel, we're teaching works. We're teaching legalism. You have to have the gospel. You've got to keep putting the spotlight back on Christ for ourselves and for others. And so the ancient way that we need for our families is to truly believe in the Lord. We need to believe the gospel and the power of God's daily grace in our life. And so, yes, there's... There's fear in the wilderness. Yes, there's failure in the wilderness. Man, praise God for his grace, amen? There's also faithfulness. There's faithfulness in the wilderness. 
You know, the most significant message in the first four chapters of Deuteronomy revolve around God's faithfulness. Even though the generation of Israelites that had left Egypt had died off, and this young generation doesn't remember all the moments of God's faithfulness, Moses is taking the time to recap them. Like, you might have been a little baby. You might not have remembered this, but remember when you were a kid, when you saw God do this? Moses is recapping. You read those first four chapters. Moses is recapping, retelling the stories of God's faithfulness. And the hero of the story is the Lord. When you read from like Genesis, uh, Deuteronomy 1.1 into just the first part of Deuteronomy 4, you see the word, the Lord, the words, the Lord, 57 times. It's the Lord, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. Ten of those times, it's the Lord, our God. 14 of the times, it's, it's the Lord, your God. And so there's this understanding that God is the one who's faithful. And we have to be, uh, revolve our lives around the Lord, Yahweh, the faithful one. Look again at some of those moments. Deuteronomy 1, verses 30 to 31. He's retelling. He says, the Lord, your God, who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt. Remember when he did that in Egypt? Before your eyes, and in the wilderness, and this is such a beautiful phrase, when you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to that place. See, man, the, like, the Lord's carried you through the wilderness. He's faithful. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7, he says something else so beautiful and profound. He says, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through the great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Like, look at the hope. Look at the good news that he's sharing with them. God knows you're going through the wilderness, right? Uh, God's been with you. You have not been alone, even though there's times you feel like it. And you've lacked nothing. Maybe you wanted more than you had, but your basic needs were met. You lacked nothing. God was with you. He provided for you. He knows. What great news. It's a reminder of God's faithfulness, that God fought for you. He's provided for you. He's protected you. He's carried you. He's been present with you. God's been faithful even when it was hard and difficult. This is what he's telling them. We need to continue to hear that same thing in our own lives, in our own family. We can relate to that. There are times that we can look back and have clearly seen God's hand, right? There are times we look back and have seen God's hand in difficult seasons. And there are other times, and some of you are probably in them right now. And maybe an online listener who's sitting in a hospital bed, you know, they're sick, they can't make it, whatever it is. Maybe you're there right now where you're going, I don't see God's hand right now. I don't sense his presence. It doesn't mean he's not there. It doesn't mean he's not carrying you. And one day we'll be able to look back and we'll be able to see his provision. We'll be able to see his protection in new light. You know, I love what uh, Christian theologian Ravi Zacharias, God has just given this man a brilliant mind. He said this, he said, having the answers is not essential to living. What is essential is the sense of God's presence during dark seasons of questioning. I love that sound, by the way. You guys are like, ooh, ooh. I, I said that too when I heard that. It's like, man. Because we think like we're entitled. It's so funny. We look at some of the traits of the upcoming generations. like, well, they're so entitled. And yet here we are going, well, God's entitled to give me an answer. And we feel entitled too, right? There's just times when we're not going to get it. Instead of just tormenting ourselves with constant questions, we just need to look and seek and feel his presence in the midst of our questioning, in the midst of our wilderness. And when that happens, then we can sing with the psalmist. 
For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. But you, our Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow in anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is faithful. And that's the good news we need and our families need. And so in light of that, Moses was saying, not only is God faithful to you, but then you need to, in turn, be faithful to him out of gratitude for this land you're going into. Like, as you look back on God's faithfulness in your life, you need to let his faithfulness to you uh, drive you to be faithful to him. And that's really what happens next is uh, we, we go to Deuteronomy 4, and we see that Moses now is done recapping the history. Now he's giving instructions. Now, now he's giving a, a lesson to them. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, we see a little stretch here. He says, And now, Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God, that the fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I commanded you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, and the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding nation. For what great nation is there that has such a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. You see what he's doing? Now the lesson's over. Now it's instruction. Remember God's faithfulness, and now you be faithful. It's your turn. Listen to his word. Act on his word. Do his word. Don't tamper with his word. Uh, this will bring you wisdom. It'll bring you insight. It'll bring you life. You will stand out and be recognized as one who's close to God. Don't forget God. Don't forget what he's done. Pass them on to your children and your children's children. Like This isn't just for parents. This is all of us called to be disciplers of the next generation, whatever that looks like for you. And if you notice, some of these people are saying, this is for the land you're going into. So if you're single, you're a teenager, you're thinking, ah, this doesn't apply to me because, you know. No, no, you are setting a course now for your future family. Your decisions now impact who you probably will end up marrying, uh, what that life is going to look like, if God's going to be involved, if you're going to be a moralistic, therapeutic, deism type family, or if you're going to be a gospel-centric family. Like, like, no matter what your stage of family looks like right now, single, single parenting, nuclear, blended, whatever it is, this is all for us to impact the next generation. God is calling us to be faithful. I mean, think about your family. If you're a parent, think about your kids. Grandparent, think about your grandkids. Man, you're, you're an amazing aunt or uncle. Think about your nieces and nephews, your brothers and your sisters, whatever it is. If, if we're not going to be faithful to him, it's going to be hard to be faithful to them. And so we have to be motivated by God's faithfulness to us to be faithful back to him. And then in return, we'll be able to demonstrate faithfulness to our family for the next generation. 
And what he's saying to us is, don't neglect the word. Don't tamper with the word. Listen to the word. Do the word. And the beautiful thing for us living when we live now is we know that the word means also Jesus. Because when we go to John 1, what do we see? Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. And so we listen to Christ. We do what Jesus teaches. We don't neglect Jesus in our homes, but embrace the wisdom, the insight, and the abundant life Jesus has given us. So the ancient way we need for our families is to celebrate God's faithfulness and to pursue our faithfulness to the Lord. Well, how can we do that? Well, here's a couple ideas. Anyone want to take a guess at the first way? Tell the stories. Tell the stories of God's faithfulness. When has God been faithful to you? In a wilderness time, what do your kids, grandkids, family members need to hear about how you've experienced God's faithfulness in your life? Tell those stories. Also, let God's faithfulness drive your faithfulness. Think about this right now. Think about a situation in your family that's hard. It's a wilderness moment. It's difficult. Okay? Now fill in the blank. Because God is faithful, I can blank. Right? Think about that situation. Well, because God is faithful, I can And let the Lord bring something to that. God's faithfulness motivates faithfulness in us. Now, observation as we're wrapping it up here. To experience God's faithfulness, you've got to move. You've got to move. Look at some of the moments in Israel's history where God wanted them to move. In Deuteronomy 1.6, you've stayed long enough on the mountain, right? Verse 7, turn, take your journey. Deuteronomy 2.3, you've been traveling around this mountain country long enough. 11-day journey turned into 40 years. Deuteronomy 2.18, today you're going to cross the border of Moab. You're going to cross a border into new territory. Deuteronomy 2.24, rise up, set out on your journey. Faithfulness is a journey of action. So where have you stayed too long? What mountain are you on right now that you don't need to be on anymore? Where are you doing circles in your life and in your family life that you really need to reroute and get out of that rut? This, this, this is a journey of action. What borders need to be crossed? What new territory needs to be taken in the name of the Lord? So take the journey. Got to get up. What is that's holding you back? Is it anger, passivity, addiction, discontentment, worldly ways? Is there a treadmill of busyness? It's time for a change. So let's bring Christ back to the centrality of our homes. Let's have God's word as a foundation. And let's pray together. Let's serve on mission together. Let's have more family time. Let's eat a meal sitting down together. Let's limit the device time that robs us of our connection and conversation. Let's reclaim the irreplaceable and precious time that screens have taken from our families. Let's summon the energy, and a lot of times you've got to ask God for this, summon the energy to make it a day with your family instead of just make it through the day with your family. Like we've got to reclaim some of that. So what do you need to say no to this week? And yes to, uh, instead, out of, motivated by God's faithfulness so that you guys can continue to experience more faithfulness in your life. And that's good news, God's faithfulness to us. I need to tell you the rest of the hiking story. (laughs) Four hours in, lots of bumps, bruises, mosquito bites, everything, all that stuff, we're kind of banged up. We got to hike the four hours out. So we break camp, get our stuff together, and we start hiking. And after about 15 minutes, We get to this clearing that looks familiar. In fact, it looks so familiar, we realize it's the clearing where we got off the hiking path, only about five minutes from the car. What we did is we spent four hours hiking a giant circle without knowing it, and then just hiked 15 to 20 minutes back to the cars. 
That was it. We were ready for like a four-hour hike. We're like, oh, I guess 20 minutes now, okay? And it was silly, and it was kind of frustrating and a little bit discouraging, and at the same time, what a relief. <laughs> People in wet clothes were like, yes, I've got to change the clothes in the car. And, and, and we were able to get in the car, and there was some food in the car because, you know, it was high school guys. They ate everything like in the first two hours, you know? And so um, we, we, you know, got food and drove back home. We were home before we knew it. That's, I don't know what's going on in your family, but here's the deal. You're probably closer to home than you realize. You're probably closer to where you need to be than you realize. It's just right there. It's just on the other side of acknowledging the good news of God's faithfulness to you. So don't operate out of fear. Don't get stuck in failure. Just celebrate God's faithfulness and his good news. Families need good news more than they need good advice. Man, praise God for that. As we continue this four weeks, um, I've asked our family team to just offer some resources for continued reading and interaction that may be a benefit to you if this is capturing your heart. So uh, we're going to put a blog out later today that's going to just have a list of books and links and resources that can be beneficial to you if, if this is what's hitting your heart. Here's just four of the recommends from that list. Uh, the TechWise family, the number one piece of feedback that came off that social media was just the media piece. And so The TechWise Family by Andrew Crouch. I'm looking forward to getting into that book. I haven't yet. Uh, our, one of our youth pastors recommended that. For littler kids, the Jesus Storybook Bible just sounds like it's a great way, creative way to on-ramp kids to understand the gospel and the love of Christ and to focus on Christ in your home when they're little. Spiritual parenting will reinforce parenting by grace, by the gospel. And so uh, that's a good one. And there's a bunch of books with that kind of theme. And also Right Now Media, just an underutilized resource that we have. Tons and tons and tons of videos uh, to help connect you um, to studies and teachers that will help you lead with grace in your family. So just recommend those. Uh, two action steps I have for you from today. Here's what I'm asking you to do today when you walk out of here. Number one, would you elevate the amount of God's faithfulness in your prayer life this week? Like whenever you're praying this week, with yourself, with your family members, would you just give God praise for his faithfulness? Maybe think of specific situations and just celebrate God's faithfulness in your prayer life at a whole nother level this week. The second step is this. Tell at least one story of God's faithfulness. Tell at least one story of God's faithfulness to your kids, grandkids, your nephews, nieces, your family members, whoever it is. Would you just say, I just want to tell you about the way I've experienced God's faithfulness. I don't know if I've ever told you this before. Tell at least one story. And as for, for those of you who may not know Christ, you know, today's the day that you can begin. Jesus has been there for you this whole time. You've been hiking around the wilderness, a little bit banged up, and yet the whole time he's close by. Today's the day that you can engage him in a relationship. He knows you. He loves you. He wants to be there in the wilderness with you. He's waiting for you to answer his call. So you just got to give your life to Christ. And you can begin that journey of faithfulness to the Lord today. And if you uh, feel like God's calling you to follow him, we just ask that you mark that card on your response sheet there saying, I'm going to follow Christ. Turn it in the baskets and we'll get back in touch with you to tell you how to take the steps of following Christ. But right now, I just want to rejoice with you guys because what we need is good news, not just good advice. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for today. Thank you for the encouragement that's in your word, the instruction that's in your word. Thank you for the lessons we can learn from others. Thank you for the lessons we can learn from Israel. God, help us not get, uh, help us not run in fear. Help us not get stuck in our failure. Help us to celebrate your faithfulness, the good news of your faithfulness. God, help us to tell the stories. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would bring 
back to our minds the stories that we can celebrate your faithfulness to, Lord. Help us reflect on that. God, help us to celebrate your faithfulness more when we talk to you this week. So God, uh, we are so grateful for you and for the ancient ways you've given us for our families even today. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said together, amen.